Hesedim is a series of reflection, usually reflecting on an issue in the society in the light of the words of scripture. You're welcome to join us each time and to send your questions or comments by way of a voice note. Look forward to hearing you and speaking with you. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath but fulfill it to the Lord, the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not answer an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I'm speaking to you today once again about the practice of righteousness. The subject of righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and teachers of the law is one that is not a mere cloak or a mere tactic or something we do so that we can look good in the eyes of others. In the words of Jesus, righteousness is something that is driven and defined from within us. Jesus continues his teaching with his disciples by dealing with two subjects that on the face of it are unrelated. He talks about divorce and he appears to suggest that oath-taking is not necessary. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Generally speaking, the approach taken to the matter of the practice of righteousness is not one of doing something that we do because it works. Or put differently, our notion of righteousness is not anything we need to do in order to win or to, in order to succeed. Others see the practice of righteousness as a matter of doing our duty to some preordained rules. Still others come to the practice of righteousness as the things you do in order to find happiness. But each of those and all of those break down for one reason or another and do not provide sufficiently adequate bases to organize and to motivate us for the practice of righteousness. So rather than pragmatism or legalism or even hedonism, Jesus calls into question matters about which and in relation to which the society in which we live give us certain natural advantages. In other words, it is not enough to ask oneself the question, can I get away with it? Or to assure oneself that one is doing nothing other than what everyone else does. 
according to Jesus, the practice of righteousness requires more of us than just that. This is the context in which Jesus raises the common practice of divorce. Jesus draws allusion to the fact that women were at a disadvantage in relation to the men in their lives. The relationships were asymmetric. Men could do what they wanted and women had no power to push back against what their men did to them. The men could just write them a certificate of divorce and that was that. Jesus calls attention to the ways in which women in those circumstances were made victims. And then Jesus broadens the discussion to talk about transactions into which we enter. For Jesus, it is not the preamble that matters, whether it is about heaven or earth or your head or your foot, but the integrity of commitment and the follow-through that matter. And then Jesus calls attention to something which we have come to know by experience. It is that when people want something, they will say anything. As we say in Jamaica, they will take Jesus off the cross to get it. But when they have got it, when they have got what they want, they forget what they have said and what they have promised. We live in a world in which there are entire industries built on lying to people and taking them for fools in order to get their money. There are strategies tailor-made to fooling of people by slick and clever packaging. Our world is not made meta because of these things, despite the glitter and the veneer. There is a savaging of our fellow human beings and supplying them with shoddy goods that has been made into a fine art. We may get away with it today, but we are building a world that few of us will be able to live in. This kind of thing savages social trust and comes back to bite us because it destroys the fabric of a stable and cohesive society. Soon there is a rise of cynicism Values are replaced with valuables, and truth is replaced by what is fabricated and fake. Trust is eroded, and what, and what is fear is suborned by what makes us afraid. Then all the might of armies and the increasing resort to violence by the state will not save us from what we have made of ourselves. So therefore, when Jesus calls us to making our word sufficient, because when we say something, we mean what we have said. And when we pledge something, we intend to pay our pledges without any prompting. This is because of a certain virtue within us. So the words of Jesus call us to approach our transactions and our relationship with an integrity of commitment that makes us utterly trustworthy and dependable. Here are some things that ought to guide us in the practice of righteousness as we approach our relationships and our transactions. Each of us must bound ourselves to our word. When we say something, we take on a duty to make that word count and to live by and to honor our word. 
this is what it means to be honorable. This is what it means to be noble. Make our word come for something. It is not a slight thing to simply promise and not pay. Life has few things that are more painful than a betrayal of trust. When those who have given us their word and have led us to trust and believe them lead us down a garden path to nowhere. Somewhere we have heard it said by William Shakespeare in the play Julius Caesar, this was the most unkindest cut of all. Nothing builds trust more than honoring one's word. When we make our promises, they must not be too grand, but we must keep them to our children, to our friends and associates, and to those who rely upon us. Some may think it cunning or clever to deceive people by selling them a six for a nine and making suckers of them, but it is treacherous and cruel to betray the trust of others. This is a trait and tendency to say and not do to promise and not pay. It is what we did when we sold Marcus Garvey for rice and peas and when Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We can rise above that. Let our yes be yes and our no, no, because it is a matter of virtue within us and the character we have. There is a simple word called integrity. It is not a high value item in business or politics nowadays in leaders or in people, in owners or in customers. In fact, it is those who are smooth and slick, even if they are downright charlatans that are winning the day. But our cue does not come from them. We are driven from within. Our character and integrity require us so that our word is our bond. Our yes means yes and our no means no. Therefore, when making a pledge or a promise, we think carefully. We say only what we mean. We do not offer to lend more money than we have. We do what is in our control or in our power to do. And we say only what we are committed to and intend to do. This is what integrity and choir and character require, this is what will build trust and make us trustworthy. The words of Jesus require something else of us in the practice of righteousness. It is to scrupulously and diligently protect the victims of our actions. When making a decision, we must duly consider the causes and the consequences. We must therefore be deliberate to ensuring that we do not make victims of other people by the actions we have taken. Jesus uses marriage and divorce to illustrate the point. It is not enough to consider whether or not you have the power to go through with it, or in some respect, whether it is your right to act in the manner that you have, that is that you can find justification to excuse your action. What must be considered is whether it is right. And one of the key indicators is what is likely to happen to those who are the victims of your actions 
and those that would be made more vulnerable by what you have done. So our concept of righteousness is one that forces us always to account for the welfare and well-being of others as the justification for what we do. If my action makes victims of others, if my actions put others in a worse position or in a worse light, then it is not the practice of righteousness. These considerations and this deliberateness about word and deed are the ways that integrity and character are strengthened and trust is deepened. Importantly, the promptings are from within. The words that are honored and the relationships that are relied on are not because we are under threat or duress or simply because it is expedient to do so or they make us feel good. No, we honor our word. When we give our word, you can put your pot on fire. And in addition to that, we are tolerant and patient because that is who we are. It is from within us. What a difference that would be made to our communities and our families. Social capital would be strengthened and deepened. People could rely on people to watch their back and to secure their interests. It begins within us and with us, whose word is our bond and who honor our word. It depends on us who consider the cause and the consequences and protect the victim and the vulnerable from our action. So let us go forth and make sure that our yes means yes and our no means no. Let us ensure that our integrity, honor, and nobility are intact. Our world is relying on us. <laughs>